oldest daughter uh, with us, Alyssa, and uh, certainly a joy to have her. She'll be here uh, throughout this week. She's on spring break, and uh, when you look at what others are doing during their spring break time, I'm thankful for a daughter that comes and spends time with mom and dad, amen, and uh, I was reading some news articles this week at some of the wickedness and the debauchery that was going on this week with spring break. And I thought, you know, we uh, are quick to criticize that. And yet, we have to look at the homes in our churches as the reason for much of this that's going on. And uh, we have for far too long not taught the next generation what it is to do right because it's right. And uh, we've lost a whole generation. We've lost almost two generations at this point. And uh, you say, is it hopeless, Brother Greg? No. God can still do a wonderful work. And we can still see God do some some great things and some stirring things in a church to help raise up godly families that will rear godly young people and that will have the character to do what's right because it's right. And uh, I hope that we see the the urgency of the hour, especially if you have any kids or even grandkids, uh, we have responsibility to them to teach them the things that are right. I want to encourage you in that. Matthew chapter number 5 this morning, we're continuing our study on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we uh, finished up last week dealing with uh, those that uh, teach the Word of God and then don't do it, and then those that teach the Word of God but do it, and then those that... Uh, uh, will not, the Bible says, will not uh, enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so we know what those are, the, except your righteousness, exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, uh, scribes and Pharisees. Um, and we all understood what that was uh, meaning last week. And so we get down now to uh, verse number, we're going to start in verse number 27 this morning. And uh, Jesus now begins in this part of the Sermon on the Mount to um, teach some things, that, and, and you'll notice the phrase quite often, you have heard that it was said uh, by them of old. And uh, we're going to see that phrase quite a bit as we go through the next several verses here and uh, through the passage. But Jesus is getting ready to start teaching some things that were very peculiar in that day and age. In fact, it was the exact opposite of really what even the religious leaders of the day were teaching. Uh, but certainly the opposite of what society was practicing and if there's anything, you know, I've heard people say, well, the Bible is not relevant for today. But the truth of the matter is it, it would take someone that's blind to look around at our society and not say that we're in the same boat that, that they were in at this time. And uh, that there certainly is a, a, a direct opposition to what Christ teaches in these verses as the general consensus of what is acceptable in our society today. And so Jesus begins to teach some things. And uh, the people that are listening to this are astounded by this. Uh, and, and some of the, the, the religious scholars of the day are amazed at his teaching. And there are times I come across Scripture and I'm like, wow, that's, that's amazing. But I hope in our lives that when we come across something that God shows us from his word, that, that we're not astounded by that, but that we just say, boy, I'm thankful for that. Uh, it ought to be something that agree, is agreeable to us and not something that we look at and say, well, that's completely opposite of what I feel. We ought to be growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And hopefully, as we walk in the Spirit and not after the law of sin and death, God will give His Holy Spirit to guide us and to direct us in these things so we'll know how 
we ought to walk uh, now that we're saved. Look in verse number 27. The Bible says, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever putteth, uh, shall put his, away his wife, saying for, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, nor uh, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communications be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye, shall, that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at, law, at the law, take away thy coat, and let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give it to him that asketh of thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. Father, we come to you this morning. We pray that you'll give your guidance, and Lord, that your Holy Spirit will lead and direct and teach us things that will be helpful in our lives, that we can more appropriately be all that we should be for you. That there would not be the excuse of ignorance to say that I just did not know how I should live. Lord, you've given us very clearly in Scripture what you desire for us to do and what we desire for us to be as Christians. I pray that you'll help us to be open and willing to allow your word to do its work in our hearts and that we would not just listen to it, but that we would take heed to it. We would put it into practice in our lives. And Father, not from an outward standpoint, but from a heart that loves you with all of our hearts, desiring the utmost in our lives to please you because we love you with all of our hearts. We pray that you'll bless the time that we spend here together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've read here quite a few of the lists that Christ gives. And Lord willing, we're going to have time to get through all of this today. But we're going to start as we get to verse number 27, as he says that you've heard as it was said by them of old time. And I just want to stop and say this, that uh, notice he does not say here it is written. Uh, there were uh, scribes and Pharisees, religious leaders of the day, that took Old Testament law and they would set into place the, um, the parameters, let's say, of that particular law. For instance... Uh, on the Sabbath, they were not supposed to do any labor. And so some religious leaders got together and they said, okay, to walk a certain distance now becomes labor. It's not something that we do. And so they limited the number of steps that a man could walk or a woman could walk on the Sabbath day. And they said, okay, it's X number of steps. And in doing this, they, were, they had good intent. And I, I, don't, I don't criticize their intent. But in doing this... They absolutely lost the spirit of what Christ was trying to give them and what God was giving them in the Old Testament law. He was trying to say that you ought to reverence the Sabbath. There ought not to be anything that's there 
uh, that would detract us from spending time focusing on the Lord that day and that we shouldn't be going out to harvest our crops or do things that would distract from that. And what the religious leaders of the day did is they took it and they made it legalistic to the point of saying, okay, you can only go so many steps or you can only you have to uh, do certain things. And they did this with each point of the law. There was a, a, what was called the acceptable practice many times in the uh, Torah. They have a lot of the uh, law that is um, defined uh, by specific um, things that the religious leaders did of the day. And so what Jesus is doing here in the Sermon on the Mount is he's not destroying the law. As he said, he didn't come to destroy it. He came to fulfill it. But he's trying to set the record straight on some of this that was given as hearsay over the years. You've heard that it has been said by old, by all of these religious leaders that have tried to interpret Scripture. And so let's see what he says here as he gets to the first one, that thou shalt not commit adultery. And Jesus goes on to say, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And one of the greatest sins of the Christian life, and I'm convinced of this today, is the sins of the mind. Uh, we tend as Christians to coddle those sins, and those sins don't seem very um, offensive to us. And, and we feel like we can do those sins because we don't think that anybody ever sees them. And yet the truth of the matter is, the Bible says that God is the one that searcheth and trieth the reins of the heart. He knows every thought and intent of the heart, doesn't he? There's nothing that is hid from God. In fact, the psalmist said, If I ascend to the heavens, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. If I go to the ends of the earth, behold, even there, thou art there. And so we find that, that God is, is aware of everything that happens. And is it important for a Christian to have holy and pure thoughts? Is it important for us to guard our hearts and our mind? The truth of the matter is, yes, it is. And by the way, let me just stop and say this, and I'm not trying to get on a hobby horse today, but there is a story that was given in the Old Testament uh, that was uh, the discrepancy that Lot and, and uh, Abraham had. Their servants were fighting with one another, and they were arguing with uh, which, which uh, herds were going to have which pastures. And Abraham came to Lot and said, I'm not going to uh, fight and argue with you, your family. Uh, let's just decide uh, we're going to go uh, far enough apart that we won't have these skirmishes in our in our family, and we remember the story how that Abraham uh, allows Lot to choose, and Lot looks to the well-watered plains of Sodom and Gomorrah, doesn't he? And in the choice that he made, he chose to go towards Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham went the other way. Of course, God blesses both of them for a while in the season till Lot begins to follow after some of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And while Lot himself, the Bible referred to him in the New Testament as a just man, it says this, that he vexed his righteous soul in seeing and hearing from day to day the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. And can I tell you this, that if our hearts are to remain pure in the Christian life, if you and I are to have hearts that we guard, and I'm not telling you that there's not going to come a billboard sign, and there's not going to come something into our, our field of vision. But what we do in that next split second makes a difference. Are we guarding our heart? The psalmist said that he made a covenant with his eyes, that he was not going to look on the evil things. And all that we as God's people would say, you know, I'm going to have enough love for the Lord Jesus Christ and what His Bible says and what His Word says to me, that I will make a covenant, not with some other person, but I'm going to make a covenant with my eyes. 
And I'm going to make a covenant with my ears that I'm not going to defile them. Why? So that our hearts and our minds will remain pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. I can't quote all of the list of things there. Whatsoever things, the Bible says though in that verse, whatsoever things are pure. Think on these things. You say, Brother Greg, I just can't get a handle on my thoughts. How do I get a handle on it? I mean, it seems like I feel like I was in the days of Noah where, where the thoughts and the intents of the hearts of men were only wicked continually and I can't seem to get victory in this area of my thought life. Can I tell you this? The Bible's real clear about the answer for this. In Psalm 119, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? With my whole heart have I sought thee. That phrase, my whole heart, we, we shared this challenge with the teenagers Friday night as, as we had just gotten done. Uh, they put everything they had into seeking for these things on the list of the scavenger hunt. And they were excited and they gave everything they had to seek for these things that were silly. And I got them back here and I said, folks, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could seek after with our whole heart the Lord Jesus Christ? If we could put that same desire and that same intensity into saying, I want what God wants for my life. So wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Where, where are we going to keep our hearts and our minds pure? By taking heed thereto, according to thy word, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I what? Hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. I had a staff man several years ago meet with me on a Saturday. He said, Pastor, can I meet with you? And uh, he, I went to my office and he sat there and he said, I've been battling a habitual sin in my life. And he shared with me what it was. He said, I've battled it for years, even since before I came on staff here. And he said, I've really tried to get victory over it. And God just doesn't, I just can't seem to get victory over it. I prayed to God and I don't seem like I can get very, very far with it. And I was stumped by that at the time. I'd never come across somebody that said that. And I had always talked with people about you spend time with the Lord and God will give you the help and the strength and the victory to get over it. And so I went home and I said, Lord, I'm, I, I told him, I said, I'm going to have to pray about this and figure out what, what, what I can do to be a help to you. And uh, I went home that night and I said, Lord, I don't know what answer to give him. And I was thinking and meditating and dwelling on that. And uh, that verse, that passage came to mind from Psalm 119. And all of a sudden it dawned on me. Psalm 1, uh, Psalm 1, that thou shalt, his light is in the law of the Lord, and in this law doth he meditate day and night. And then all of a sudden, Joshua chapter 1, verse number 8 came to mind. That, that, that uh, 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 this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. And I thought, you know, God has told us over and over in Scripture how to get victory in this area. How to keep our hearts and our minds pure. And by the way, if there's something that needs to be done in this day and age, in the pews of our churches, is to teach people what God's Word said about keeping our hearts and our minds pure. Amen. And so I went back to this fellow and I sat in my office the next day and dealt with him. <coughs> and I said, here's what I believe the Bible teaches. And I gave him the Scripture. We're to be meditating in these things day and night. It'll keep us from sin. It'll cleanse our hearts. It'll cleanse our minds. And I'll tell you this, it's really hard to have impure and impure thoughts in our minds when we're quoting Scripture. You ever tried it? It's difficult. It's really hard 
to be thinking in improper thoughts or impure thoughts when we're singing the hymns of the faith because we're speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You say, Brother Greg, does it matter what I listen to on the radio? Yes. Amen. I'm not here to preach on music today, but I'll tell you this. Lot vexed his righteous soul by seeing and what? Hearing from day to day. And it was a gradual process. Lot never thought he'd ever end up where he was, did he? He was in there day after day after day. And he said, you know what? Today, I've been strong. I've not followed after that. But he was seeing it and hearing it. And before long, he vexed his righteous soul. How do we keep our hearts pure? We saturate it with God's Word. We saturate it. How do we saturate it? We read it every chance we get. If you're, if you're battling habitual sin and having difficulty getting victory over a specific thing in your life and impure thoughts and things in your heart, take cards of Scripture and write them on them and keep them in your pocket or in your wallet or in your purse. And as those thoughts begin to come on your mind, you reach in there and pull them out and start reading. And I'm going to tell you what, that, pure, that impure thought goes away pretty quick. Amen. God's Word gives us the answer, doesn't it? And he speaks about these people, these, these, these folks in this time were priding themselves that they would not commit adultery, and yet God knew their hearts, didn't he? Christ, sitting there preaching the Sermon on the Mount, understood that, hey, there are some folks here that inwardly, they're as vulgar as anyone that goes out here and commits adultery. And they need to learn that they can't do that. This is a topic that doesn't get preached on a whole lot today, but it's something that I think in the day and age we live ought to be preached on on a regular basis because we need it. Folks, we live in a vile world. I was appalled as I read a news article this week of the debauchery going on during spring break. Folks, we're losing them. We're losing them. We need to teach young people and college age and school age young people that the answer to pure thought life and pure actions is not in, in parents that are, 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 are firm and, and are, are strict and are, are conservative in their thinking. It's not in getting in a church that is as high in their standards. All those things affect the outward shell of it. But what the difference is is whether or not God's heart, God's word permeates the heart. This is what is promised. To be sharp as a two-edged sword. This is what is promised to be quick and powerful. To be alive in our lives. Standards were never told that they were going to be powerful or strong and do a work of transforming a man's heart. You want to have standards in your life? You take this book and you saturate your life with it and the standards will come. Amen. We are so guilty of putting a hollow shell on the outside of a person, cleaning them up and making them look good, and the heart's never affected. And Christ saw through it, didn't He? They were so transparent. He said, you've heard that it has been said that you not commit adultery. He said, I'm telling you, if you've even looked on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery already with her in your heart. It's just as bad, just as sinful. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Say, Brother Greg, I have a hard time with my thought life. Can I help you with something this morning from God's Word? 
saturate yourself with God's Word. Put the hymns on in the car as you go back and forth to work. Put Scripture reading on as you go back and forth to work. You say, Brother Greg, I get tired of listening to Scripture all the time. Yeah, that's the sinful nature. Doesn't like it because it wants to do what it wants to do, doesn't it? But it will keep our hearts pure. Or God lied to us when He said, Thou shalt hide in thy word. I will hide my word in my heart that, that, that I might not sin against God. Perhaps He was lying to us when He says, Wherewithal shall the young man cleanse his way by taking heed? With my whole heart. With my whole heart. When was the last time we put our whole heart into something? We can think back in our lives at things that we have given ourselves to, can't we? And it was such an interest to us, and we wanted it so bad, we just put everything we had into it. When was the last time we did that with our Christian life? Could we honestly today, if we had to, stand in the, in the presence of God Himself, if He were here on this earth, or if we were caught up to heaven in the rapture, and the next moment we had to stand before God, could we look at God unashamedly and say, with my whole heart, have I sought thee? I don't think one of us could. Oh, that we would learn from God's Word. I just, I, I'm, I'm just have enough faith to believe that God's Word has the answer for every problem and every decision we have to make in our life. If you have a struggle in your heart and in your mind and the sins of the mind, there is an answer to it, isn't there? And he says in verse number 29, and I want you to notice this and please understand this. Verse number 29, he says, And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee to one of thy members that should perish. And not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish. And that... Not that the whole body should be cast into hell. I read an article just a week or so ago of a lady that went out of the church building and she was mentally disturbed and I think had some other issues but stood there on the outside and literally went in and plucked her eyeballs out. And I'm not trying to be gross about it, but can I tell you this? He, he's not speaking here of the literalness of taking an actual uh, instrument and plucking an eye out or cutting a hand off. He's trying to show the importance of this, the severity of this. This is not something to be taken lightly. To look at the sins of the heart and the sins of the mind and say, well, it's not hurting anyone but myself. I'm going to just coddle that sin because I enjoy it so much. Can I tell you this? That it is this important to God. That He would say it would be better for you to pluck your eye out or to cut your hand off. That's how important this is to God. We get into verse number 31. It says, And it hath been said, once again, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. In that day and age, there was the simplicity of when you just got tired with your wife, you gave her a bill of divorcement, sent her away, and married another woman. And Jesus condemns that. Marriage ought to be a covenant, and it's a picture of what God does even when it comes to the issue of, 
uh, of a covenant that is made that is an unbreakable thing. And the sincerity and the, 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 the imperativeness that God places upon this. That these things are not to be done lightly. They're not to be done quickly and that you just give a writing of divorcement out just because you're tired of your wife or your husband. He goes on to say in verse number 33, Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be, yea, yea, and nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Why is it that we live in a day where we don't trust a person on, on matters of, of great importance unless they say, I promise you. Used to be, if a man said something, shook your hand, looked you in the eye, a man's word was his what? His bond. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. There's no need to swear. You ought to say, you know what, if I say it, I will live by that vow. Let your yeas be yeas, and let your nays be nays. We need to get back to that, by the way. That we are people of our word. Are we always going to be perfect at it? Are there ever going to be issues where unforeseen circumstances come up that hinder us from keeping our word? Probably so. But every effort ought to be made. And even in those situations, we ought to do everything we can to rectify the situation. Just simply because we want to be people of integrity. People of character. By the way, we don't use those words a whole lot in the society we live in anymore, do we? And it trickles down from everywhere we see it. We wonder when our young people hold up these sports heroes and these heroes that we see in Hollywood and they look at them and they, they think these are our heroes. These are the people we love and, and we go crazy about them and are fanning over them. And the truth of the matter is you look at their lives and they're all a lie. I remember as a young person watching uh, basketball and it used to be in basketball, even, even in the professional leagues, if a man made a foul, he would raise his hand and say, wait, that was me. I remember as a teenager in my, in my, when I played basketball in our high school, our coach taught us if, if a ref makes a wrong call and the ball went out on you and he called it for the other team that it went out on them, you go over to the ref and you tell him, no, ref, that was out on me. Because we weren't just teaching you to win the game, we were teaching character. We live in a day and age now where that's changed, hasn't it? You can't even watch a ball game, but you watch them lie through their teeth. They know they did it wrong, and then they get up there in the ref's face and make a big deal about it. You watch those in Hollywood that get up and they lie through their teeth. We can't even trust our politicians anymore, can we? Sad to say we can't many times trust what comes out behind our pulpits anymore. Because we now live in a generation where we've lost integrity and character. And then we wonder why our young people who spend so many hours following after these people turn out the way that they do. Jesus said, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. And by the way, there needs to be a revival of this among God's people. Holy living. He says as he gets down verse number 38, Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And I just want to stop here for a moment before we go on. 
this, I believe, is one of the critical things that the world has every right to point their finger at Christians and say, why do I want what you have? Because as Christians, we've not learned this grace in the Christian life. We have followed after the world's philosophy on this. That if somebody does me wrong, I am going to get even or I'm going to get ahead. We're getting ready to deal with something that I'll tell you every single one of us in our human fleshly nature battle every day of our lives. Some of us may be able to get victory over it some of the time, but some of us may not be able to get victory over it some of the time. As the Bible says this, and Jesus goes on to say in verse number 39, But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. Now, please do not misunderstand this verse. We want to make sure that we take this in the context of what he's speaking of here. He's just gotten, gotten done preparing and laying a foundation for this statement by saying, you've heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If somebody does it to you, you do it back to them. But he says, I say unto you, and now we know that he's saying that this is going to be the antithesis or it's going to be the opposite of that. That you resist not evil. And he's not speaking here of sin. He's speaking here of someone who treats you in an evil way. We must understand this in the context of the passage. Because if you take this verse and you read just that, that we're not to resist evil, it would be easy for us to say, well, I'm not supposed to take a stand against sin. And yet the Bible says we're to resist the devil, aren't we? We're to resist the wiles of the devil. We're to stand and having taken all of the precautions to be able to stand. He says, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that's not what he's speaking about here. He's speaking about when people treat us in an evil way, when they do something that's wrong to us. And it's amazing to me how many times when I talk to people about this subject, they say, well, you know, you just don't understand what they did. Can I tell you this? This is the Lord Jesus Christ saying this, is it not? What did they do to him? I promise you there's been never anything done to you or I that ever exceeded what they did to him. And yet he's teaching this. To say that they, you just don't understand what they've done to me is not an excuse. It does not cause us to come out from the obligation of this teaching of Scripture. As he says in verse number nine, uh, 39, But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. <coughs> and whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. All three of these deal with topics that are very, very close and similar to one another. And can I say this? We need to learn to be second-mile Christians. I mentioned this in the service, I think, last week or the week before last, as we knew we were getting ready to study this part of the, the Sermon on the Mount. But during the time that this was written in the city of Jerusalem, the... Jews were required by law to carry the burden of a Roman if they were requested to do so for one mile. And 
the tradition of the day and some of the things that I've read about this particular thing uh, said that there were certain points in the city where they were more prone to have to carry a burden for a Roman. And the Jews would go to these areas and they would mark the spots and they would pace off one mile exactly and put a marker. The reason for that was so that if they carried the burden, they did not carry it one inch further than they had to go. And then they would lay the burden down. Jesus, understanding what was going on during this day and this time, and the, the practice and the culture of this mindset, said, listen, if, if people are going to abuse you and use you like this, why don't you be an example to them and say, you know what, I'll, I'll go an extra mile. You can only compel me to go one, but I'll go the second mile of my own choice. I'm going to do it just to be a blessing to you. You know the quickest way to get rid of an enemy? Make them your friend. It's, it's hard for somebody to continue being mad at you when you're kind back to them. You ever tried that? You ever noticed how they kind of bumble and stumble around? They, they feel bad. They don't know what to do because all of a sudden they were, they were out, for, out for blood and here you are treating them with kindness. You think Jesus knew what he was speaking about when he told them to do this? Don't resist evil. Somebody misuses you, gives you a hard time, uh, 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 persecutes you for maybe being a Christian. Smile at him and say, you know what, brother, I love you anyway. Let me do something to be a blessing and help to you. My daughter, my middle daughter, you mind if I say this, Reagan? Uh, my middle daughter had an issue this year. Somebody mistreating her. And she came home several times crying, I mean literally crying, upset about it. And I mean just ready to let go. And I'll tell you, the, the human nature inside of her dad, and she, she doesn't know this, but I know this because I know what my heart did. When I heard that, my teeth gritted, and I thought, oh, I want to just launch into that kid. I want to go after that parent and call them. And that was the human nature side of me. What did I tell you to do? Buy them a candy bar. Give them a card. Tell them you're praying for them. Why? Because it's the quickest way to diffuse the situation. And, and it's really what the Bible tells us to do, isn't it? That if they compel you to go a mile, you go with them another mile. If they take your cloak, give them your coat, give them your cloak also. Do something above and beyond. Why in the world, if we represent the Lord Jesus Christ, do we want to just get by doing the very minimum? The very minimum. Don't we want to go the extra mile? Don't we want to do a little bit more? If we, if we claim to have the greatest news man has ever heard, don't we want people to say, boy, there's somebody that lives what they preach, and no question about it. They're not just going the minimum that they have to do. They're going the extra mile. God must have done something really extraordinary in their life for them to treat others that way. He goes on to say in verse number 42, Give to him that asketh of thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. The Bible teaches us that we're not to withhold good from them when it is within our power. Wonder what the world would be like towards Christians if every Christian would start practicing these things. 
I'm sure there would still be some criticism somewhere along the way. The Bible teaches and Jesus taught that they've hated me, they'll hate you too. And I understand that. But do you think the world would be a little different if Christians would learn these graces that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount? It's something unique. It's something the exact opposite of what their culture was teaching them during that day and age. And it goes against every fiber of our natural being, doesn't it? It's hard for us. In our school in Florida, we had a cafeteria that would cook lunch for our Christian school kids. And a lot of times the teachers or one of the students would forget to order lunch and they would get to lunch and they would go to the lady in the cafeteria who had spent all morning meticulously counting how many lunches she needed cooking just that much portion of it. And all of a sudden they would come to her after she had cleaned up the kitchen and everything was laid out and ready and say, I forgot my lunch. And I walked in one day and there was a small magnetic plaque that she had bought at the store that had a saying on it uh, that I'm sure many of us have read or heard in our lifetime. And the gist of it was something like this. Lack of planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. In other words, what they were saying is just because you forgot doesn't mean I've got to drop everything I'm doing and come to your aid. I read that and I thought, that's what the world says, isn't it? So I went to my office and I printed the same size piece of paper and I went in there and I taped it over top of that magnet the next morning. And she came in and saw it and all of a sudden she just kind of nodded her head and grinned at me. And it said, lack of planning on your part means I will do everything in my power to help you accomplish what you need. Why? Because it's what Christ would do. It's what Christ would do. You say, Brother Greg, but we get tired of it. I get frustrated. We will. It's, that's the flesh nature. But let's have second-mile Christianity. Can we not be kind to folks? I am an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist. And I'm not ashamed to use that phrase, although it's gotten a black eye in recent days and recent years. There are people that look at people that call themselves that, and they say those are hateful people. Can I say not this church? Not this church. We're going to love folks. We can stand strong and we can be firm on what the Bible teaches without compromising. And get this, we can still love people. We can still love them and be kind to them. Because the Bible says, and such were some of you. You were the same way and I was too. Aren't you glad somebody had patience with us? Aren't you glad that the Lord Jesus Christ didn't look at us when we were unlovely and say, don't want him to be my child? He opened up his arms and he said, I love you anyway. I want you to come in. That doesn't mean we condone sin. No, not at all. But we take people the way they are and we teach them about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And as they love the Lord Jesus Christ and their hearts are drawn closer to Him, all of a sudden the inside starts changing. And you can't help but the outside change too. A lot of things that Christ taught in this message that will be helpful to us if we'll take it. I don't know what God had for you in the message this morning. We hit several different topics. But if you're here this morning and you struggle with a pure mind or pure thought life, can I tell you, the Bible has the answer for that. If you're here this morning and you struggle with the old human nature, the flesh nature, you just, you just got a temper and you just can't get a handle on it, you, you, you get a vindictive spirit towards people, can I tell you, the Bible has got an answer for that. I don't know what it is this morning, but if you're here this morning and you don't know for sure that you're saved, can I tell you this? God loves you. He didn't come to condemn you. The Bible is very clear about that, John chapter 3. He came not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. It's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He didn't come here to condemn you. You're condemned already. He came here to save you. He came here to rescue you. And He paid everything that He had to be able to rescue you. And He gives it to you free. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work your way there. You just simply have to trust it. Put your faith and trust in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask Him to be your personal Savior. He'll do it. He's promised He would. If you're here this morning you're not saved, can I urge you this morning that you can trust Christ as your Savior today? In just a moment we're going to have a hymn of invitation. When we do... We don't embarrass folks, and I promise you that we won't. In fact, folks here will rejoice with you. But if you don't know that you're saved this morning, that you die, you'd go to heaven. Would you come forward and let us take the Bible and show you how you can get that matter settled this morning? And you can get that done this morning. Christians that are here, if you're battling one of these areas that we've talked about this morning through God's Word, maybe you need to come and do business with God and say, Lord, I need to get some of these things straight in my life, and I need your help to get the victory over them. Can I tell you, you need to come this morning and do business with God. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we come to you this morning. We're thankful for your word. Lord, I'm so, I'm so thrilled in my life, at least. I don't always like what is said in your word because it pricks my heart. And there are times I come under conviction. And Lord, it's not a pleasant thing. But it is a needful thing. And because of that, I'm joyful for it. I know that the reason for that is just because you have my best interest at heart, because you love me. And Lord, I am thankful for the times that you bring conviction in my life as I study and read your word or listen to folks preach your word. And Lord, so often your Holy Spirit will do a work in my heart. And Lord, that I have to get things right. And I'm thankful for that. And I pray that if there are those this morning that are experiencing or have experienced the convicting of your Holy Spirit, Father, help us to respond appropriately to it. That we not get bitter or angry and get upset over how dare God do that in my heart or life or point that out in my heart or life. But that we would rejoice in the fact that the Holy Spirit is guiding and leading and directing us. Lord, whatever the case is in each person's heart this morning, I pray that you would have your will and way during the invitation. For Christians, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will draw them closer to what you would have them to be. And for those that may be here this morning that do not know if they're on their way to heaven, Lord, would you please allow your Holy Spirit to do His work. And Father, may they not leave here lost this morning. But they get that matter settled today. Lord, bless the invitation we ask this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. I'm not going to embarrass anyone this morning.